Thank you for joining us on the Ballistic Football Podcast, where real amateurs talk real football. I'm Matt, your host and producer, until we find a better one. And I just want to remind you guys that you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook now. And we're now live on five different podcast providers. So I'm joined this Friday evening with good old Jake. Jake, how's it going? Good. Arsenal uh, circus to watch earlier today. So that was that was pretty fun and entertaining. We also have two new guys that are part of our ballistic football crew and they're making their first appearances we have uh, kirby and adam how are you guys doing kirby you said your name first so you can go first <laughs> <laughs> all right oh i'm doing all right good to be here first time so yeah looking forward to it i i feel the same way uh, i'm not sure why i'm here uh, i'm not sure what uh, i'm gonna be able to provide uh, by way of any uh, interesting relevant or entertaining um, information. So uh, I appreciate you guys having me here. Oh, we're just here for our strong opinions. Yeah. yeah well, right. our trailer does say, <laughs> you know, we're kind of just the place that if you were talking to your buddies at the bar, and your buddies at the bar may not know anything about the actual sport. So, I mean, we're living up to the <laughs> reputation. I was, I was thinking, um, I was, I was doing some errands, running some errands today. And I was thinking about this, and I was like, man, I, I'm i just, like, these guys are going to walk all over me in terms of, like, what they're talking about and and this and that. And I don't know, like, I don't know anything about anything that we're about to talk about. And, and the first thing that came to mind was that, uh, do you remember that SpongeBob episode where they swear and it makes the dolphin noises? And I sure think, do. I think, is it SpongeBob? Or, I, I don't remember. Is it SpongeBob or Patrick says that the swearing is just like a sentence enhancer? And I was thinking that I was like, you know what? I'm going to just BS a bunch of stats and stuff like that. And I'm going <laughs> to use them as sentence enhancers. And, and then when they're wrong, I'll use a dolphin noise to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> there are plenty of commentators that are doing the exact same thing you are, Adam, so <laughs> they're getting paid to do it, so there's no problem. So with when we have uh, additional crew members, cast members on the show, we like to ask them a couple questions so that the listeners have more of a background about you know why they enjoy soccer, why they came to love soccer. So, Curb, I'm going to ask you first, what, what brought you to the game? Because we've, between Josh who we had on last episode, Jake and myself, there's been three really different paths to developing some some type of love for the game of football. So where'd you where'd you get your start? Oh, well, I'm probably the basic American soccer fan. I got started with the World Cup, you know. I think it was the 2010 World Cup. We were living in Wyoming at the time, and we were all sitting down watching World Cup games. And I... I'd just gotten into FIFA like a couple months before, and funnily enough, I had found this Thomas Mueller guy on FIFA before the World Cup, and I was like, "Ah, oh, this guy's fun to play with," and like nobody knew who he was. And then the World Cup comes around, and he blows everybody up, and Miroslav Klose is doing backflips, and the USA is having decent games, and I kind of sold it for me, pretty easy. That sounds similar to Jake. He's a uh, he's kind of said he he found his love of the game through FIFA, and uh... 
So you, you didn't play it all growing up or anything like that? Did you play as a kid? I played when I was younger, okay. but when we moved a lot as a family when I was younger, so it was hard to get integrated into a soccer program. And then when we moved to Wyoming, there just wasn't a program <laughs> at all. So yeah, that went right out the window. Yeah, I can I can relate to that. Uh, Curb and I, uh, I live in North Dakota and Curb was here briefly and yeah, there's uh it's kind of more, uh, I think soccer's starting to grow a little bit more, but uh, it's definitely football, basketball, baseball country. We used to joke with each other that we were probably the only two football fans in North Dakota. And I still think that's probably true. So until we have somebody... Yeah, were you joking? I wasn't joking. <laughs> until we have somebody that uh, actually contacts us through uh, Twitter or something like that, I'm just going to assume that that's the case. So, Adam, along similar lines, I mean, I think you, you've played quite a bit growing up, but, you know, what got you to into the sport? I would say quite a bit is a stretch. I was... Uh, I mean, I def I grew up playing soccer. It was kind of the one sport that I really stuck to uh, from the time that, like, you can start playing sports. I have no idea. What is that, like, four or five or six? And I tried a lot of sports. I mean, I grew up in Maryland, and lacrosse was, like, the big thing. And I tried it, and I didn't like it. More so, I didn't like the people who played it. And I just, it, it happened. I think I got a little bit lucky that, I kind of grew into myself and in my body and stuff like that going into high school because I was not a phenomenal player, both technically and like physically. And when I got to high school, I grew taller, I got faster. And I think that just allowed me to continue playing through high school uh, and through club outside of high school. Um, and I thought I was good until I started playing in different tournaments and I attended a few camps in my junior year at different colleges to try and get noticed and I realized I wasn't that good. So soccer, I would say competitive soccer for me ended after high school and then played like rec in college and then Sunday league and stuff like that after college. But I think the thing for me that's a little unusual um, because of the, I mean, it's hard to call it niche at this point as of a sport in the United States is, I mean, it's, I mean, we obviously will get into talking about it, and, and, and anybody who's listening to this doesn't need to be told that soccer is a niche sport anymore in the United States. But I didn't really follow soccer. I didn't really play FIFA or anything. I didn't like care for like following the sport very closely growing up. I, I mean, I played it and I loved the sport, but I, it was not something that like I like you guys said. I love football. I love baseball. Like the sports that are accessible and that were popular, kind of when we were growing up, and. It wasn't until probably college and even after college that you start playing. I mean, games like FIFA that really help you like follow the sport and learn players and talking about it. And the fact that it's grown so much in the United States that we now have players playing for significant teams in Europe to follow, um, that you really get excited about the sport and start to watch it. Um, but but yeah, that that's kind of my background. And, and I, I know that's something that uh, Jake is going to prod at at some point. Maybe you too, Matt. Uh, I will confess uh, to being a Liverpool fan. Right. And edit him out. Let's get rid of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to nip that in the bud real quick because it's like it's like somebody coming up to you and being like, "Oh, I'm a Patriots fan" or "I'm a Yankees fan." You like completely like dismiss that person immediately as somebody who doesn't know the sport. Which, well, I mean, I won't. you know, the thing is, is, he's saying you don't. 
<laughs> oh right right well that's the thing but i liverpool was like so i i'm my family's from england and, and i'm and so I, we we spent a lot of time in england and liverpool like completely randomly we went to do like the beatles magical mystery tour like that's a thing that they do through uh through liverpool and you do like you hit all the spots and i again like i the only team that i knew about was because our family's from like the greater manchester area like they they were leeds fans and leeds was like a super uncool team to like follow <laughs> and like looking back like i wish i was a leeds fan but we went to liverpool and and i was just like i like this city a lot and i really like the idea of following like a team from the city i had no preconceived notions or anything like that about the team and, and kind of like what they stood for is like a huge club and kind of like a huge like bandwagon club so. Well, and I think to be fair, I mean, that's more of a tie to the team that you support than probably Jake or I would have. Um, oh my, so, okay. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, you would, gotta, Jake, let's not, be fair, you admitted on a prior episode that you just kind of picked the team out at one point and decided yeah, to follow. Yeah, as like a, I think I was 12 years old. I mean, I had no prior history and then I got back the DNA test or whatever and find out that I like have some links back to Manchester. Yeah. That so that I mean that was just I don't know. I that was a crazy coincidence though. But I think but yeah. I mean to be fair. Sorry, I am a dirty Juventus fan, so I don't have much of a leg to stand on there either. <laughs> Curb, I'm interested to hear you're our resident Juventus fan, which is probably the only person on our cast and crew that has a team that you follow outside of the Prem. Why Juventus? Okay, so it's a very contrarian story. I was in college when I really started watching European soccer, and all of my friends were like United fans, Arsenal fans, that sort of thing. Everything was Premier League. So I was like, well, I don't want to be a bandwagoner, so I'm going to pick a team that's not in the Premier League. And I was watching Champions League. This was, oh, geez. This was, I think, the first year under Allegri for Juve. Okay, and so pre-Ronaldo. They beat, Very important. Yeah, pre-Ronaldo. A couple of years pre-Ronaldo. And they beat Real, I think it was. Might have been Barcelona. It was one of those two years. And a Champions League knockout. And I was like, man, those guys played ugly, but they have Pirlo. And they fight for every minute. I'm just going to follow them. I loved it. So Gosh, I, I mean, I had a ton, a ton of respect for Pirlo. I mean, just yeah. A I got lucky that player. it wasn't like Porto or something, but because I was just picking blind. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool, and I can understand. You know, Adam, you made the comment a little bit ago that I think at the at the time we were growing up, soccer was was kind of still considered that kind of niche sport. You know, you wanted to, you were a bit of a contrarian in the fact that you're like, I don't want to play basketball or football or you know baseball. And I, I, honestly, I remember having that discussion. My dad was a traditional sports person through and through. He was okay with me not really wanting to go after football, like American football, but he really wanted me to play basketball and baseball. And I can remember, I still can remember sitting down with him and saying, Dad, I don't want to play those sports. <laughs> they just, you know, it's they were just boring to me. You know, fo- football and uh, soccer provided an alternative and something different and that made it cool and so i think that's what really kind of ignited my passion for it and and i think that i mean i i grew up and 
and I get this uh, the sense that we were probably similar that soccer kind of catered to a different set of physical abilities as well that really allowed for and I think in the same way that like lacrosse has really captured a lot of people in the United States I think a lot of I would have to say like casual sports fans would kind of lump the two together as again as kind of smaller time sports yeah. that are growing at a similar rate whereas in an argument for another time that I, I think soccer is just on a whole nother level but it kind of caters to a different skill set that allows for the kid who is six foot like 120 pounds soaking wet like to to play a sport and can, can run forever and 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 even even then you don't have to fit that they're all all shapes and sizes playing like very high level club in high school soccer that i i saw um that's my limited experience but it really like it was that sport that i felt like man even though i'm like these crazy dimensions <laughs> as a human being like i can still play this sport and and to a certain extent succeed and and i think that just to foreshadow a little bit i'm later later tonight we'll talk more about my thoughts on that but uh i'll leave it at that (laughs) all right well uh we're at the end of the week which is kind of nice i'm uh, happy it's over i got the got the weekend to look forward to and not only that but today was opening day of the premier league and i this episode's going to be geared more around uh, the U.S. men's national team, kind of what what we think as far as the future of it. But I think any listener or anybody that's on the show even would probably beat us over the head if we didn't touch base on the Arsenal-Brentford match that was earlier today. So I'm curious, you know, I, I actually, I was working at the time, so I only ended up being able to see the scoreline and the highlights. But, Jake, you were able to watch it. I don't know, Kurt, maybe you were as well. The highlights were interesting to me from the standpoint that, you know, you look at the scoreline, it was 2-0, Brentford, and you're like, okay, this is classic Arsenal just imploding. But I, I saw the highlights and I felt like Arsenal had a lot of opportunities that they they could just not finish in the final third. Like, it looked like there were a lot of balls played in. I think the possession was like 65% to Arsenal. But, um, you know, like they say, the classic possession is nine-tenths of the law. I don't know. what Did you watch it live, Jake? Yeah, I, I saw the whole thing. Uh, and I think partly them just not putting chances away is they were missing Lacazette and Aubameyang today. Uh, out with illness but I mean they looked completely out they looked completely outmatched by Brentford a team that's just been promoted Uh, I I have I have written down here that Brentford just their press was able to overrun Arsenal I mean they 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 would just press Arsenal so far back Arsenal then kick it long and then they lose a they lose a duel so uh, they lose an aerial duel, and then Brentford on the possession. They looked really good in possession. Um, I think s- sometimes, and even their manager uh, was saying how they would just give up the ball too easily, just because they wanted to kind of hold their shape more and sit back. Because I guess they just didn't trust themselves against Arsenal, but they looked they looked very good. 
and Arsenal were just so unorganized. And I think Arteta was probably he was outmatched by uh, Thomas Frank. Yeah, and, and I think I heard uh, I yeah. saw the interview at the end of the game with Mikel Arteta, and I think he was very gracious in defeat. You know, he he just kind of said, you know, we have no excuses. They they outplayed us, and I think overall he's probably walking on pretty thin ice as a manager I would imagine at this point but first match in the top flight in 73 years so to to kick that off with a win is pretty cool I'm always rooting for the underdog except if it's United so I thought it was pretty cool to see see Brentford nab a win yeah yeah and hearing the stadium after that win was something special too for sure yeah, NBC does a did a very good job, uh, just sticking around after the after the full time whistle and just taking in the scenes. And it, I can understand Arteta out. Uh, a lot of fans want to believe in the project, but when you have the lows, this is the lowest of the lows, getting completely outplayed by a club recently promoted. Yeah, it it it, it not many positives to take away for Arsenal. Yeah, they looked like they weren't prepared for that game, like, at all, coming into it. Yeah. Yeah, and one of the things, too, is that, you know, there's some pretty pretty good books out there that talk about the different aspects of kind of the economics behind soccer. And, one, you know, one of the arguments that's made is, like, it's, it's always cyclical. So, you know, a team could be really good for a while, but they're always going to to have kind of the peaks and troughs in their performance, a good manager's job is to try to maximize the peaks and limit the troughs. And so, you know, we saw it after a United example, Sir Alex left, you know, and and the funny thing is I think with Arsenal, they, there was so much animosity. It seemed like with Arsene Banger and he was, I mean, their team was fairly mediocre but in the grand scheme of things, he did a pretty decent job of keeping them consistent. And they're really having trouble finding their stride even from last season. Yeah, and I, I think we're at the point where we can safely say that Leicester City have replaced Arsenal in that kind of top Completely six agree. classic structure. And I, it's, hard to, it's hard to deny. And I feel like I've heard some Arsenal fans today even say that. And when Arsenal fans are saying that, you know, it's really been hammered in there. You know, they're a very hopeful bunch uh, that just try to keep on finding a new slant. But, it, yeah, it, it's really tough to see a path forward for... Uh, yeah, don't Arteta. hate us, Arsenal fans. Yeah, how many seasons has it been since they uh, finished top four? I think it's been like five seasons. That's uh, not good if you're supposedly one of the best in the league, you know. Yeah, and almost 10 years since they've been in the Champions League. So it's really getting dire times. And like you said, at least Arsene Wenger kept, Wenger kept that consistency. But yeah, it's, it's a, I don't know, and very rough enough, times. I think, uh, I think Arsene Wenger studied to be an economist in college. So just kind of interesting talking about kind of the economics of the game and those, those cycles and performance. But yeah, I don't. I don't want any Arsenal fans to feel like we hate you. It's just uh, we know that you're uh, probably having a rough time right now, and so you have our deepest sympathies. I actually have a ton of respect for Arsenal because I feel like they're one of those clubs that, at least under Wenger, were developing some 
some younger talent, and then they were kind of, and I, I know some Arsenal fans that hate when I say this, but for a while they were kind of a farm team for the rest of Europe because they did such a great job developing young talent, and then they'd get sold off. Uh, yeah, I, I would say Serge Gnabry, probably one of the biggest uh, examples of that. Now just an absolute superstar for um, Bayern Munich. Unless he's playing Joe Scally, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a performance that was. All right, was. well, we're going to pivot a little bit to talking about the uh, U.S. men's national team. Part of the reason we're bringing it up now is because over the past week, the new FIFA rankings were released, and the U.S. is now number 10 in the rankings. But before we get talking about that a little bit more, I'd like to go around and see who each of your favorite U.S. national team player is of all time and just give a little bit of context as to why that particular person. Jake, kick us off. What I've really just come to the conclusion is Clint Dempsey. I love the attitude, and I think he he was probably the embodiment of that fight that 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 team you that we just had. Um, and Christian Pulisic, in an interview, he mentioned that how it always felt like those old uh, United States teams could just win a game. It like they could just pull it out of somewhere because you know that they would be working as hard as the other team. So I think that that work ethic uh, and people have said Matthew Hoppy kind of is showing some of that nastiness that we kind of need. But yeah, Clint Dempsey did it in England, like had a great, had a pretty great Premier League career. So yeah, it, I think Clint Dempsey is probably my obvious I'm choice. I'm a Clint fan myself. I, I enjoyed watching him when he was playing and kind of that chippiness he had. So I can, I can relate to that. Curb, you want to give us your take? Oh, well... I think Clint's a probably would have been my pick. I'll be I'll continue the contrarian streak though. I'll go Michael Bradley. Sure you didn't see that coming. Okay. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, we, we me and Matt had heard about this. Yeah, we've had this out a couple times. times. Look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> until Weston McKinney or Tyler Adams prove in Europe, and I think they will. I think they're already on the way to doing that. I think he's the best midfielder that we've had for the US. I think um a lot of well, obviously, you know, 2018 and that qualifying period is a lot of what people think of when they think of Bradley. But up to that point, he had been such a rock-solid player. And I think... I, I definitely agree there. Yeah, so that's the big black mark on his career with the national team, along with a lot of other players and a certain coach. But, like, before that, he was a dominant player in the midfield. He was such a good passer to watch. Reminded me a little of a poor man's Pirlo that ran a little bit more occasionally until he hurt his foot, but he just, I think his leadership and the way that he approached the game and his consistency was really something I enjoyed watching, even though it wasn't as much fun as Clint tearing up referees' notebooks, for sure. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of players that I could choose from, but I have a lot of respect for Michael Bradley, and I know he's not going to get mentioned, so I'll just throw his name out. Yeah, I'm certainly not going to mention him. So Adam! (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, man, that's rough. So we're clearly showing our age a little bit in terms of the players that we're picking. Because I I have, like, just as one of the things I'm looking at is a list of historically, like, the top goal scorers for the U.S. men's national team. And I'm looking through them. Like, 
I don't think any of us are going to like say any of these players who are clearly like prolific players for the team. Like some some guys in the top three, four, five players in scoring, guys that played in like the 90s. And I'm sure if I knew who they were, I'd have a lot of respect for them. But uh, I'm going to come out of left field a little bit. And I'm not like making this up. This name came to me like immediately from watching past World Cups and just kind of a very general following of the team is a guy that I always just noticed and looked out for for a lot of different reasons was uh, Kyle Beckerman and two reasons uh, one a little bit more important than the other uh, but we're from the same area so I always thought that was really cool and you would hear like people talking about him like growing up that like they saw him play in high school like they saw him playing club like he's from where my club team played, and I, I don't think he ever played club there. He was always like a higher level player anyway. That he was playing elsewhere, but also, I, I would say, no debate had the best hair. Of, I, I mean, I was gonna say that. Yeah, de- yeah debate. Of, I, de- I, I guess there could be some debate if you're looking at like some like old school like Alexi Lalas like hair like that, that. Some people could be into like the the red like mullet and mustache combo but i think beckerman rocking like the long dreads was always like a look so that i'm gonna that that's my okay my low-key pick that's a solid pick honestly yeah so for me um, i have a couple honorable mentions i i really enjoy watching deandre yedlin i know he's kind of hit and miss but i just think Early on when he had involvement, I, I really enjoyed watching him. And DeMarcus Beasley was actually, he actually was from Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I grew up just outside of Indianapolis. So he's my other kind of honorable mention. But my pick, and again, I, I don't think this would ever hit anybody's radar, is uh, Frankie Hayduke. And the reason I say that is because I just, <laughs> that guy has so much fun playing the game. And if you see like his involvement even with the crew after he retired, I mean, he's just super passionate about being involved and I think is probably one of the nicest guys and biggest cheerleaders. And, you know, another one I enjoy watching is Breck Shea back kind of when he was in a little bit better form. I have had the opportunity to meet Brian McBride and Eric Winalda, and uh, I don't know if I hit Brian on a bad day when I talked to him or what his deal was, but... I I hope he never hears this. I'm not a big Eric Winalda fan as a commentator. The guy is just being a nice guy to the fans. He's probably one of the best. So I'm going to go with Frankie Haiti. Surprising? Yeah? I... <laughs> Yeah, it, it is off my radar. That might that be a little too far back. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> a name right there. I didn't want to do like the conventional, you know, just you know, top ten or whatever. So, what Kirby and Jake yeah. said. <laughs> Basic picks for you. Gotta have. I, I, dude, Clint, I just think is. I think he's just so much better than anyone other outfield player we've produced. Like Tim Howard yeah. was a incredible goalkeeper but jake you're I, not, think, I can't believe you're not like a chris yeah. wondolowski kind of guy <laughs> you're the high work rate that also like, that's, that's a the old fox in the box himself the longer they like the michael bradley thing where yeah his his legacy just kind of tarnished as time went on like if you just look at his career before like 
32 or before 30, uh, yeah, I think that it would be a lot better to look at. But the tail end has not been great. You have been, Jake, I will say that you have been, um, as the kids would say, a stan for a lot of like low-key guys that like I'm looking through like a couple different lists of names. And I remember one name that you threw out, and obviously very, very like more recent, but I thought you were going to throw out like a super recent, like low key guy to like look out for in the future. I thought you were going to throw out like Jackson <laughs> Ewell or something like that. Like, look out for Jackson Ewell. Favorite player all time, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, favorite player because I know in the future. I was saying makes this good really. That guy always stood out to me, but. There's a lot of guys. He's in the best we might have to do that. We might have to do that another time. The ones to watch, like biggest yeah. movers through after yeah, no, that's a good, that that's could a good go idea. through the season. Chalk, chalk yeah. that up for our future topics. I think that'd for be sure. a good one. So the U.S. is coming off of this uh, Gold Cup final win against Mexico. It's pretty widely known that the U.S. was probably fielding the equivalent of maybe a C team and Mexico is probably pretty close to their, to their A team. I think it's a huge win, but what do you guys think in terms of what it means for the future of us men's national team soccer? You know, as we look forward to to qualifying is, is that really, is that win really that big of a deal? I, yeah, I I would totally say it, the biggest thing it establishes establishes is our dominance right now in CONCACAF, beating Mexico two times, the second with our C squad, uh, and establish like we have the depth now. It's looking like a pretty deep pool, especially just for CONCACAF competitions. Um, and World Cup qualifying, you're going to need a lot of depth, a lot of fixtures. Injuries totally can happen. They're playing so many games with their club and internationally, so... Yeah, it was a huge, huge win, and it just shows a lot of development in the program. Because, th- yeah, this could totally be the starting point for dominance, just for I-, I-, I don't know how long, because we have such a deep pipeline right now. Yeah, I think uh, not even just that one final, but the entire tournament answered a lot of questions that people had going into it, like uh, who's going to play behind Tyler Adams if he goes down or has to rotate? Well, now we know Kellen Acosta can do it. Who's going to play center back? Well, we got Miles Robinson, James Sands, Walker Zimmerman had a decent tournament. So all these places where we had no idea what it was going to look like in World Cup qualifying in, you know, May or early June, I think we have a lot more answers now, or at least potential answers from what they showed. And that's something that we haven't had in a long time, maybe ever. That many answers on the bench across the field. So that's really encouraging to see from that perspective, for sure. Yeah, and, and I'd say... I'd... It, it is pretty unfortunate that we couldn't get the number nine uh, question answered. Oh, what you I talking think that, about? <laughs> Jossie's my man. <laughs> Jossie's, he is, he's reliable. Yeah, you know what you're going to get from Jossie's artist. So, yeah, I, I, I can understand that. I just, we need some guy to break out and show that he can put him in the back of the net consistently. Yeah, so, yeah that I, is I, the big criticism that is, I think, of yeah. all the Fords that you know they do the work rate they have the passing but you need a guy that can put it in the back of the net if you're going to go far in a tournament like look at the Czech Republic in the Euros they have Patrick Schick doesn't matter who else is on the roster he's going to score from 50 yards 
You know, yep. I think there's a lot of cracks when you got weaknesses elsewhere. Well, and Adam's sick of hearing me say this, but when's the last time we've scored a goal in the run of play? I mean, all of our goals have been, almost every one of them have been offset pieces. It's a very American thing to just say, okay, let's get our tallest guys, which we tend to crank out a lot of tall guys, get them in the box, and then score off of a, a set piece. That's what concerns me is both of your points about finding that number nine that, and, and finding someone that's just more of a prolific striker and to score in the run of play. That's my biggest concern is we haven't, we haven't really seen that. And I would argue we haven't seen that really anywhere across the board. I mean, you have guys that are performing, you know, with their clubs and they score occasionally, but we're not seeing that in a lot of the national team games. I, I think to that point, and I will say that I, I agree with, with what everybody said. I think the biggest thing that came out of the Gold Cup was um, the established. We, we established as, as a as a nation and as a whole just the the depth that we now have. And, and I think we're going to talk about uh, the um, Mexican American and losing a lot of guys to Mexico. We're going to talk about that maybe a little bit later, if not in a different episode. But on the surface, I think that, that I agree that we established depth. But the other point to, to what you're saying, Matt, and, and I do, I think it's really funny because every time we score a goal, I in th- literally the last, like, I, I can't even count however many goals we've scored yeah, either off of a set set piece <laughs> right. or or some some big cross or, or like a free kick or whatever, a set piece um, or, or a header. I... And this kind of came to my mind as we were as you were talking about it, and and this could be like a hot take, and also just completely wrong. I don't think Concacaf as um, a division or as a league really caters to goals being scored in the open field of play. I I think it's just so nitty gritty, and it's so kind of that pinball in the box type of play where you're you're probably more concerned about fouling somebody in the box than you are defending them. That <laughs> That is so true. It yeah, just it, it really caters, especially with the United States being, I would say, traditionally just fielding a bigger team. That it really allowed that's like where we can really I mean you think about it on a set piece, whether it be a free kick or a corner kick, that's the one time that you have to kind of be physical. It, at least in CONCACAF. I mean, that's not true in Europe or pretty much anywhere else. That That's where you've got a guy like John Brooks who can come in and out-jump somebody or put their hands on their shoulder, uh, their defender's shoulder, and kind of boost themselves up. That's the one time that that can happen in the game, and you see it happen all the time. And guys are falling all over the place, and the ref doesn't know what to call, and they just kind of let it happen. Whereas like in the open field of play, that doesn't happen. Somebody falls over, they're calling a foul. That that's just how Concacaf is, and we don't like it. And and maybe we can transition the conversation to this, but like that's why I have a hard time with. And, and I I like like the effort, and I like the athleticism that somebody like like you have Josie Altador kind of did it at least for our generation first, and then you've got Daryl DK coming in doing a similar thing, being just a physical freak at forward being fast and being physical and 
and having kind of a nose for goal. But that, to me, doesn't fly in CONCACAF because it really relies on that guy out, like like the physicality, like out playing and and being physical with the defender. That doesn't fly in CONCACAF. That, I mean, they call a penalty every single time. Anybody, shoulder to shoulder even, people are hitting the ground and that doesn't fly. So it it's more like the technical player that really thrives in CONCACAF. But again, that's not, I don't want to like get too far ahead, but I, I feel very like passionate. It's so hard to watch CONCACAF soccer sometimes. And like the, the type of player that the U S produces is like the opposite of what like plays well in the open field in CONCACAF. Yeah. I think that's good perspective because, you know, more recently we haven't really seen how well we stack up with, other teams and other federations with with uh, what I would call kind of our A team. So it'll be interesting to see like how that progresses and we're just going to get more of the same through qualifying. So, you know, hopefully maybe, you know, in some warm-ups, hopefully we qualify first off, but if there's some warm-ups, we can begin to see how we look against some other teams um, when it comes to to the World Cup or even just general friendlies. You know, with with that being said, I mean... With that win, the United States has moved up to number 10 in the FIFA rankings. And and again, uh, still behind Mexico. Mexico's number nine. Do, do you think the United States, and I, I, I made that prior point because I think it's probably important for these rankings. Do you think that 10 rank is justified for the United States when they really haven't seen a lot of action with any of the European national teams, you know, recently or many of the the South American teams as well. Uh you know, and FIFA rankings have just been such a controversial controversial yeah. thing over the years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um us at the 10 spot, I mean, it it's really off accomplishments and when you look at Europe, only, uh, there's not going to be many people winning a trophy uh, but in CONCACAF, we just had two trophy wins. So it is, of right. course, it's going to shoot us up. We got we shot up 93 points. Uh, if we talk about talent, Denmark and Netherlands, and Netherlands are right below us. I think those guys could beat us um, with their best teams. Germany's at 16. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some teams below us that would give us problems. But we're starting to see that we had the friendly against Switzerland where we lost... We lost that by one goal, I think. And then we beat Wales, I believe. Yeah, I th- and we beat Wales. Yeah. So we, we've we seen we can compete. We, we, we just need our guys to grow a little bit more uh, out of the top 10. Uh, when I looked at the average ages out of the top 10 FIFA rankings, we were at 23 and the other people were at 27 to 28. Of course, the guys in their primes. So once once we get those guys starting to hit those primes, I think that that is going to start to be more justified. Yeah, because when you just look at the talent we have, um, the potential is massive. But right now, talking about the, the current skill of the squad, I don't think we should be at 10 if you look at it from a talent perspective. Well, and the thing about the FIFA rankings is that it's not based on talent. It's based on the results you've gotten over a past period of time. And I think what it comes down to is that we've gotten results against the players and the teams that we've been 
faced with and other teams haven't. Like Germany lost to North Macedonia in World Cup qualifiers, you know. So, and of course, European qualifiers are a bit tougher. But we played Qatar, beat them. They're a solid team. They won their championship for Asia against North or the Koreans and Japan. We beat Jamaica. They're a solid team. Really, we've outside of that Switzerland game, we've taken care of business against everybody since that loss to Canada in the Nations League in, what was that, 2019? Early 2020? And we've way outscored them. So, I mean, talent, yeah, for sure. I don't think 10th place in the world for us is accurate, or 9th place for Mexico, for that matter. But yeah, yeah. it's just it's a results thing. So, I mean, it's kind yeah, of strange. No, it's weird to see, but it just comes down to taking care of business. Good points. And, then, you know, you, you mentioned it. I mean... If if we're not justified at tenth, my personal opinion is there's no way Mexico is justified at ninth. But, not after this. You summer. know, again, it's on. It's based on the accomplishments. And yeah, and they were just dominating our region, collecting points however yeah. they wanted to, with no one really pushing them. And and that really has been the detriment of Mexico now. Someone's giving them a challenge, and it just doesn't seem like they're ready for it. There's certainly, I mean, they're just an older team. I think at this point, they're they're kind of not over the hill. They, I mean, they're not a young team, I suppose, and and I guess that that um, factors in with Ochoa going to Mexico and and goalie being one of the biggest positions that they they needed. I, I, I Mexico is just in a different spot right now, but them being at nine, I, I don't think it makes any sense at all. Well, what what were the ratings in twenty like twenty twenty? Or I mean, maybe twenty nineteen is a better example because games actually happened. But I mean, I can look that up. But I I mean, I assume Mexico was sitting around ten, and we were sitting in like the low teens. And we're Mexico in the just upper twenties at one point in twenty nineteen, or lower twenties, lower twenties. I, I think we say. got to like twenty two, right? Twenty two or twenty three is what right. we were sitting at, at the start of the year. Yeah. So in twenty nineteen, right. we were at. 25 and mexico was 17 so i guess i mean did europe just have did, did the big teams in europe just have a terrible last year and a half i mean there's it's teams just been like really competitive i feel yeah I, and and you you've had lower nations beating bigger nations in in the europe for a couple years now where you just are like whoa that's a shocking result well, I mean, Denmark loses in the semifinal to England, right? Mm-hmm. In the Euros, and they're they were tagged worse. Yeah, than not us. a lot of big teams yeah. got out. <laughs> I mean, so everyone from that group of death got eliminated, <laughs> right? Right. Within like the round of sixteen, or yeah, yeah. I will clarify: we tied Wales zero zero in that last friendly that oh, we played. Fair point. Yeah. Okay. All right, that's good. So that didn't help. Felt us. like a win. <laughs> Did it? Yeah, I mean, with where the squad was at at that point, we just had it was a lot of false hope, and I guess a draw like felt like a win at that point, really. I I mean, I feel like there's a lot of excitement around fielding, like our A team, really for the first time. Uh, was it that was the second game, wasn't? It? Didn't we play Switzerland first? I thought we played Switzerland last. Yeah, I, I think remember. we played them Maybe last, we... and when we lost the game, everybody was like, oh no, how's the Nations League going to go? And then Honduras happened, and everybody was freaking <laughs> out. I think, I think that was the timeline there. Okay, because I, I remember being like super excited to watch. I think it was the Wales game. That was like the first game of 2021, and really like one of the first times that we've seen 
what's going to be like our A team going to World Cup qualifiers, and was very excited. Where I, I personally, I, I think I remember it being zero zero, but I, I totally understand like the excitement, feeling like a win, because it's like it's just a win to have that team out there. Yeah, uh, for sure. Well, and what I what I was saying was that from now on, every time we take the field, we will be fielding a better eleven than we did last time in terms of the progression of each of these guys because it's it's for i i know development isn't a straight upward uh line but your uh the progression is definitely going to be noticeable i feel even in two two years from now like i think we're going to be looking like a good like european team we'll see if the tactics take that next development under greg personally well, that's, I don't, what, that's I don't kind really of my question is yeah this greg have the skill set to to bring all that talent and integrate it together. That and he's got one of the biggest jobs in international management. You could even argue the biggest uh, in terms of the talent you have at your disposal. So, and I just don't like that he hasn't managed in Europe, and we're going to be going up against these European teams in World Cup. You know, like in Concacaf, that's one thing. Then going over and playing in. Co- countries that just much more tactical tactically developed minds like much more famous coaches um so yeah that it's gonna be 2022 is gonna be a big deal for greg berhalter well and i you know we talked before the gold cup and it was kind of like if he if he can't get a decent result out of this tournament uh, you know I don't know what his long-term prospects, but then he came through and they won it. And so I don't know. I hope he proves me wrong. Cause I'd love to see the U S do great, but I'm, I think I'm just a perpetual skeptic. You know, I, <laughs> it's just, and even after two trophies, right? Like he has proven to us that he can do it in CONCACAF. It's well, just, I don't, I hope he doesn't get outmanaged when we go play a European side and well, friendlies are going to be very important. You got to beat the CONCACAF them. teams first, right? So oh yeah, for we sure. We got to get back on track there, and I think he's done a great job of that, especially compared to, you know, how far things went downhill with the last Klinsman couple months, and then the that second arena run, and then yeah, the, the, it, it the seems like afterward. Yeah, it seems like Greg really, Greg is really starting to get a, that feeling for Concacaf. You know, like just just the knowledge of Concacaf is just something so important for a manager to have. Like, you can't just bring in your fancy tactics. You need to know CONCACAF and know playing in these hostile environments for away games. You know, that it's going to be very important to keep our young guys in line for those. Well, and personally for me, like, as, as much as it was nice to win those little mini tournaments, <laughs> that's, that's what they are to me. Because at the end of the day, it means nothing to me if we don't qualify for the World Cup. If we have another round of not qualifying i can't tell you how disappointed i will be as a united states fan i uh i just yeah, don't that think that, that that can't even happen i i don't even <laughs> I, I mean i know that like the twelman uh like rant that he went on and and all that stuff that like it, it was like great for 2018 but like i it just can't happen the team cannot not qualify for the world cup i i don't know like there's no ramifications obviously other than just not making the world cup but like that cannot happen with this team 
I, yeah, I don't know. I, that would just be incredibly disappointing. I we said that about the last team, and in fairness, 2014 Mexico was almost in the same boat. They were a last day decision for that qualifying cycle. So it's it's the complacency that gets you, and that's what got us last time. And I, I think if you talk to the players this time, in fairness, and you talk to Greg Berhalter, they're all saying the right things, and the players are all saying that they love Greg and that he's doing all the right things. So I think. I don't think we're going to not qualify. I have a lot of faith in this group, but I mean, it can happen. It's CONCACAF, man. Stuff gets weird when you go away to Honduras in the middle of August and (laughs) they're keeping you all up up all night with fireworks outside your hotel. (laughs) And the humidity (laughs) is 100% 100 And there's no no VAR. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, and you know, to be honest, though, if we don't qualify, I I can't tell you how devastating that's going to be for just youth prospects in general within the United States moving forward. Like, you know, Adam, you mentioned it earlier. We're starting to see these federation switches with some dual nationals, or at least the request to do so. I think if we if we don't qualify for another World Cup, that will just exponentially increase. Because the World Cup is probably the biggest advertising Curb, you're a good example. What was your exposure to sport? Well, I, you know, I World watched Cup, World Cup. Baby. <laughs> and so, and, and World Cup was a big deal, you know, growing up playing the sport. So if that, if the U.S. isn't in it, I think that's really going to hurt long term for, for U.S. prospects. It's yeah. it, it would definitely set us back from a lot of the progress we've, we've made since last qualifying cycle. It would be a devastating blow if we didn't qualify. But, I mean, to be clear, with the results this team has gotten over the past year against CONCACAF opposition and the way that they're playing, you know, with their club teams and the way they're talking about this cycle, I mean, it would it would be unthinkable if they didn't qualify. But, it's yeah. you know, you can't go in with that mindset. But I don't think the players are and I don't think the coach is. So I'm excited for the qualifiers personally. I, I expect them to top the top all of CONCACAF. I, I, re- I even think that we have a chance to go unbeaten. If, if you look at our talent and the gap, and there's going to be some crazy CONCACAF-y results, but I, I think if you have guys in the squad like Kellen Acosta who know CONCACAF and just are, is able to... If you just have crafty guys like that, I think he'll be able to guide us through some of that CONCACAF, BS, all, all the crazy stuff that happens. I will just... I hope I have the right game. I'm looking at the lineups. So so that game against Trinidad and Tobago where the U.S. got knocked out of World Cup qualifiers. And somebody correct me if I'm completely off in my history here. But that was we, it was we lost to Trinidad and Tobago in Trinidad and Tobago, correct? To knock us yes, out of World Cup correct. qualifying. I'm, so the game I'm looking at was October 10th, 2017. I believe that was that game. And I'm looking at the lineups, like the lineup, for example, that we put out. I mean, it is completely like it is that that would be like our like C or D team with the player pool that we have now. And, and like I'm looking like we had like Josie Altador, Pulisic. So we played like a it was a 4-2-2 with the uh, I'm sorry, a 4-4-2 with the diamond shape in the middle. Darlington Nagby, Michael Bradley. Areola on the right wing. I mean, it was that was not a good team. 
And that was probably the best team that we could field at that time. I wouldn't say that was a bad team, but I think that comes into the complacency question, right? We went in that game like, oh, we just need to get a point. We'll put out a bunch of players, tell them to get forward, and we'll have one midfielder kind of defend, and it'll be fine, right? And they scored, we'll and score then off a Dempsey set piece. scored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it just it went downhill because we went in expecting a win. And I think Arena and the players talked about it afterwards, how it was just they didn't have the right mentality for that game at all. And I think that's the biggest difference between this group of players and this coach and that group in that time period is that they know what's coming. They don't have this, oh, it's going to be fine mentality. They know the past and that they have to prove it and have to go out there and make things right. So I expect us to top CONCACAF, and we, we should. One kind of final question before we, we start talking about who we would see as kind of the starting 11 for the U.S. Men's National Team. What player do you see being the leader of this World Cup qualifying? There's only one answer. There has to be only one answer to this. And and Jake and Kirby can... I, can I know who you're going to say, and that's, yeah. the, that's the like media choice. But in terms of a personality... And you're gonna. Are you're not you gonna go, say go, Hoppy. Keep going. You cannot say Hoppy. I'm not saying that. Like, no, I, I think there's two guys who are ahead of him in terms of, or maybe only really one for me. So you have. I mean, I think that picture of Pulisic after he takes off his shirt at, from scoring that penalty uh, against Mexico in the Nations League final, like that will be the picture. Like even if it has nothing to do with the game that got played. You think about any coverage that happens for that game, they're going to be showing that picture a hundred times, and it's it's almost like George Washington crossing the Delaware, like on the <laughs> boat, like with his foot up, like that picture has nothing to do with anything anymore, and you still see that as like a symbol of like freedom in the United States, and well, that's and like to, the. Well, go ahead, man. Yeah, well, to be fair, I mean, he does have the taste of not qualifying, right, from the last round, and you know, I think that's a huge driver. And to be honest, I, I was more, when we didn't qualify last go around, I felt bad for him because I felt like during that process, he played really well. Sure. He just could not get the support. And But but that's what I'm saying is he, look at the team that he had around him in 2017. I mean, none of those guys are going to have any effect on this go around of World Cup qualifying. I mean, Paul Ariel, I, I don't want to see Paul Ariel close to the field. And World hate Cup to break qualifying. it to you, but he's going to be uh, up there. Sure, but like that's that would be like just disappointing. But I think to to set up for what I think Jake's feeling, if I I think I like Christian Pulisic, he's going to be the captain when he's on the field. He's he should be the captain at least, and he's going to be the guy taking the penalties if there's a penalty, and he's going to be like the camera's going to be on him. They're going to be talking about him. If I had to guess who's going to make the biggest impact in qualifying, I think Gio Reyna, probably. I, I That dude's just such a stud. And I, I think he's going to probably, as a player, probably have a bigger effect than Pulisic. Uh, maybe not leadership-wise, but in terms of just being a goal scorer and having the right mentality for CONCACAF, I, I think it's him. And I, and I guess I'll just leave it to Jake and Kirby to kind of bounce off that. But that that's my kind of feeling. So the guy I've always heard, and I, I've seen in interviews, uh, is Tyler Adams. 
I I think that yeah, guy. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, that's your six. That's a guy who can kind of command the field, uh, sit in that CDM spot at least for. That's a little hint for my starting eleven. Uh, sitting in the central defensive midfield spot, he can command the field. He when you hear the guy in an interview, he sounds like he's a thirty-two year old vet. Like, he is a very mature guy. I think he's 23, 24 years old now. And I think he has real leadership qualities. So, yeah, I, I Tyler Adams. I could also see Weston McKinney. He's a real morale leader. Like, he, he's, a, he's always happy, and he just keeps guys with a good vibe. So, I think we've got three good options in Pulisic, McKinney, and Adams. Yeah, I think Adams is a really good pick for that because... The play runs through him when he's on the field. He dictates the tempo. He gets the ball forward. He breaks up play on defensive transitions. But the interesting thing about this group, unlike older groups, is that it's really leadership by committee. And, you know, you see Weston McKinney taking charge. Sometimes you see Pulisic taking charge. You see Adams taking charge. You see Kellen Acosta getting people set on penalties. But I think John Brooks is going to be a guy just because of his experience and his skill in passing out of the back and organizing the defense, that's going to be huge as well. Yeah. Maybe not as the captain necessarily, but there are going to be a lot of people that are leading in different ways on the field for the U.S. And I think, you know, between all those guys that we've talked about, you've got, I think the captain's arm is going to continue to be passed around like it has been over the past year or so, just because you have so many people that bring things to the table with that regard. Yeah, the John Brooks is a good... I think that's a good comment because while he may not be wearing the armband, he'll be one of the one of the more experienced players there. And it's always nice to have somebody that's been through it before um, to be able to kind of give them somebody that they can all look to as kind of that that old hat that's been through it. And also that intimidating factor, because John Brooks is an intimidating figure. That that guy is a scary man. So. Yeah. Definitely. So he'll be useful in Concacaf. I can say that much. <laughs> I think it was uh, Wikipedia after he scored that goal in the World Cup that somebody changed and it said the greatest American since Abraham Lincoln, John Brooks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was a great goal and his celebration where he just was oh, so beautiful. Like just in di- that's probably one of my favorite goal celebrations of all time. Just he like just the didn't utter know what to disbelief. Do. <laughs> yeah, and then so he just collapsed. I was like, that is such like a wow. <laughs> Like, yeah, it just taking it all in. All right. Well, um, I put everybody on the spot and ask you, who's your starting 11, you know, going into these World Cup qualifiers? And I would say give also give me a sense of what your uh, formation would be. You got to play like the Jeopardy music, like while we're out here, like can out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. Furiously up. typing it out. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've got my um I've got mine ready. I could sh- I could uh, screen share it as well. Oh man, we're gonna get a full blown pr- presentation. Fancy. This isn't a sales <laughs> yeah, pitch. See it. Can you close your screen share, Matt? Because it's only one yeah. minute long. Okay. So. Oh gosh, I gotta step up my game. Hold on. <laughs> this will give you guys some time. Okay, so. I've got a 4-3-3 uh, with a defensive midfielder. So my first up top on the left wing, I've got Christian Pulisic. Uh, centrally, I have Josh Sargent. I'm sure that'll be a lot, a lot of topic of discussion, uh, that striker position among ours. 
Uh, on the right wing, I have Brendan Aronson. That's that's probably the most out of. I I just I'll explain it a little bit after. I'll I'll keep going through mine. Uh, then we move to the midfield, left left central midfield. I have Giovanni Reina. Uh, right central midfield, I have Weston McKinney. But right behind them at defensive mid, I have uh, Tyler Adams. Left back, Anthony Robinson. Center back, left center back, John Brooks. Right center back, Chris Richards. Right back, Serginho Dest. And in goal, I have Zach Steffen. That'll also probably be a point of contention. So yeah, going into Aronson first, I am just, I'm a huge fan of him. I think uh, you got to get him onto the field some way. He, he is such a creative spark. And every time I've seen him on the field for the men's national team, I've, I've been impressed. It always seems like he's creating, and I think he's going to boss it in Europe. I, I think he's going to be at a Champions League club doing it as a sort of... He's he's more of a left winger and plays also in the midfield, but I, I think you need to fit him on the field. So I have him in that right wing. Gio Reyna at left central midfield. Greg's been playing him as a winger. He's been playing in the midfield for Dortmund. This guy is just... He is his passing from the midfield looks so much better and cleaner. Uh, he he just spreads out play so well, and he's more of a central attacking midfielder. But so there's a, there's a lot of people on Twitter as well that have also held this opinion, where Greg sh- Greg should not be playing him at winger. It, he is a midfielder through and through. Sergeant, I I also I think I'm just gonna stick with Sergeant for now. That could change in this month leading up to World Cup qualifying. Uh, we'll see if anyone makes any. If Sargent comes into Norwich and just lights it up, then I yeah I think he solidifies his position there. The back four: Robinson, Brooks, Richards, Dest. Robinson, you know, I he's now in the championship with Fulham. I like him as a physical body. He is just he's such an athlete. Uh, I think his technical side needs a little more work, but he is very steady. Like he is a Premier League fullback. So that's why he's in at left back for me. Uh, looking at the center back pairing with Chris Richards. Uh, some people want to put in Miles Robinson. I could also see that as well. Um, but where Chris Richards is at, when you're in, in Bayern Munich and you're getting the high praise he's getting, also at Hoffenheim, I, I'm, I'm going to take that and I'm going to say that you get your chance first. And it, you either you grab it with two hands or you lose it to Miles Robinson, who we know is he's a Rolls Royce of a center back. I've said myself, and I think he's going to get a, a move to Europe very soon. And then looking at, looking at goal, Zach Steffen, Horvath, and Turner. It's it's really getting the tight race. Um, and Turner is such a good just shot stopper. I don't think he's good distribution wise, or. He's not very good with his feet either, but from what we saw from Stefan playing with the men's national team, he wasn't really too great distribution-wise. He did make some good saves. So yeah, it's really Stefan and Turner. It's really neck and neck right now for me. But I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Stefan in for that first World Cup qualifying game. Any comments? Questions? No, just th- absolutely you're perfect. wrong all right kirby <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome overboard <laughs> i think uh i like reyna in the midfield quite a bit personally i think he does play a lot better there i have him on the wing in my lineup spoiler alert 
just because I think rotation issues and playing three games in a week, you have to sort of make allowances for players getting rest and rotating them through and keeping good players on the bench and out and then starting them in the midweek game. But yeah, I mean, it's a solid lineup. It's not a whole lot to argue with there. I I think we may have different uh, strikers. I don't 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 spoil anything, but if yeah, everyone maybe. has Sargent, I'd be a little surprised because there are cases to make for others. So I've got I put it in my backups too, just because uh, I think there are a couple coin flips places. Like the goalkeeper, I think it could go either way between Stefan and Turner. I have Stefan just because he's the entrenched keeper. I don't know what's going to happen training camp, but uh, and I've got Serginio Desk and Reggie Cannon. At, left and right fullback respectively and uh brooks and walker zimmerman starting in defense uh, i picked zimmerman over chris richards just because he's playing although to be fair zimmerman's actually injured right now so i don't know if he'll even be at qualifiers so that was not the best pick but i think that's another coin flip area just because of you know current form and getting minutes and then midfield i've got weston mckinney Eunice musa tyler adams pretty I think it's going to be a midfield three we see a lot of in the coming seasons. But, you know, obviously, Brandon plays really great in the midfield, so he got some selection problems there. And then I've got Pulisic on the left. I think everybody's going to have that one. Rana on the right. Zarda's up top. I think that's a coin flip place between him and Sargent right now. I, I, I almost went with Sargent personally. But, yeah, I mean, I think, again, with the Miles Robinson point, he plays a lot of left center back for Atlanta. And we're going to need depth behind John Brooks because he's got an injury history and he's going to be playing a lot of games around that time period. So there's going to be rotation there. But I think he's definitely good enough to start for sure. And then I think Dest on the left and Cannon on the right is a bit more defensively sound than playing Dest and Robinson because both of them have proved they can get turned by just about anybody on their day, even though they're really good going forward. So, uh, yeah, that's what I've got. Tiasi at uh, Stryker's a little bit of a surprise to me. Yeah, I mean, it, we touched on this early on, but yeah, it's it's sort of, nobody's really proven it yet. Like, I love DK. I love what he's doing, but he showed that he doesn't really have a passing footer, a hold-up game in the Gold Cup, even though he did have that injured shoulder. And when you're playing with Reyna and McKinney and Pulisic, you got to be able to lay the ball off and get the ball to him. So I, I'm not sure that DK has that okay, well, quite thanks yet. for tearing my lineup yeah. apart anyway. Uh. <laughs> and going, uh, just things gained out of World Cup when we're talking specifically about the depth. Uh, center back depth has just turned into, I, we've gotten a lot of answers in terms of Sands, Zimmerman, and Robinson. I think those yeah. guys have just really, like I was so impressed with Miles Robinson and James Sands. And even James Sands sliding into that um cdm spot potentially you know just if you wanted to get a bigger guy on the field in the midfield i think i think sans could do that he could do, definitely do a job so we'll see what uh acosta does because i think sans might be right on his heels at that six spot yeah i think that's fair i think if these are 25 man rosters for world cup qualifying i think sans is number 24 just because he can play that third center back role if we're rolling out a 3-4-3 or he can play in the midfield or he can play right center back, and that versatility is really useful when you're playing. Three yeah, games and, and week. that's something I notice we don't have a lot of right now. Is we don't have a lot of versatility within this team. Like I don't see a utility guy that could play multiple positions, and that that's what Joe Scally. We were mentioning him. He had a great game today. 
uh, Gladbach against Bayern Munich is that he can play right back and left back. And I think that is just something so valuable depth-wise, and especially when you're building a roster. A guy who can play two positions, he just automatically is hes increasing his value beyond just his talent. Yeah, I agree there. So who you got next? Adam, what do you got? So I put a lot of thought into this, and what I wanted was to not only get who I think are our best athletes on the field, because I, I think going back to the conversation that we were having earlier was that while the United States isn't producing the best soccer players, I think we have athletes that clearly compete with the best of the best in the world. And so, so what I, this is like a FIFA lineup for me. This is like, if I had to put a team on the field, either in real life or like if I was playing FIFA it's not a formation I'm a huge fan of. I'm I'm very like classic. If I'm either again like on in real life playing like in a game or playing FIFA, I really just prefer like the four four two with the diamond in the middle. Um, but this is a I mean you could call it either like a three five two or a five three two with um, two outside wingbacks basically running the field, and I will say that that is my like favorite quality in a soccer player like i love just like the guy that can run the whole field defending and attacking and is fit and and can do that and and i'm kind of hoping that this kind of plays out but obviously if people are listening to this they're not seeing what i'm talking about so i've got like a deep back three and i think the guy that i have on the field that's semi-irregular and this could be kind of me still having like my rose-colored glasses on from the gold cup but I've got Sam Vines as my left back, and you could call it like a left center back if you want. I've got John Brooks in the middle, and then Richards as the right back or right center back. And then I've got, and you'll have to excuse kind of like the random names I have on here. They're not anything. Um, but I got Sergio Dest running the right wing, um, so like a wing back position. Um, and then I've got Anthony Robinson running the left wing back and i think the thing that i really like about this formation and and again what we saw from the gold cup is we've got guys that can so if you think about we're playing these games and very like close like consecutively um in september and october for world cup qualifying is of the two positions that are really going to get worked it's those two guys but i think those are two positions that we really have depth in right now is those wing back kind of guys that can get up the field and attack and be effective in the attacking third and also get back and defend and be effective in our defending third is I loved the way Shaq Moore played and the way that he not only defends, but is able to distribute the ball from like a central midfielding, not central, but like an outside midfield position. And I also love the idea of getting like Miles Robinson and Bellow kind of in a kind of swing position on the outside in in being able to create through the midfield and also play all facets of the game both on defense and in the attacking third um i think my midfield is a little bit more traditional where i've got pulisic adams and mckinney so pulisic on the left adams in the middle mckinney and i think what my favorite thing about this formation is that it really allows our three midfielders and then our, our two forward or, or 
I'm going to say two fours, but I'm going to kind of adjust that as we go, as I describe this. But it allows kind of that group, that five up front, to really work less and kind of stay fit through the tournament, obviously barring any sort of injury. It's less work. It really puts a lot of stress on that outside midfielder to both fill in in front of our back line and also on the outside of the entire field, both end line to end line. Uh, and I like that. And then I've got a, something a little weird up front, but I'm not a fan of a single forward player, especially in CONCACAF that can be sloppy, whether it be to uh, condition weather conditions or field conditions. You need, I think you need two guys chasing up top and two guys that you know are probably going to get subbed out middle of the second half, again, barring any sort of injury, just because of the silly things that can happen with a ball bouncing a stupid way or, or just a back line mishandling the ball or being lazy on the ball, which we've seen the U.S. do plenty of times, uh, especially in the Gold Cup and, and even in the Nations League final. But I like Reyna in kind of an offset kind of behind the forward and then Sargent up front. Sargent really just being the chase guy and Reyna being the holdup kind of playing the midfield playing through him and then looking for Sargent or, or anybody overlapping whether it be Dest or Robinson overlapping I don't know I, th I just think that this particular group and, and Sam Vines is kind of like a kind of whatever like I threw him in there just again because I liked him in the in the gold cup and he's got the best facial hair on the team by far <laughs> Yeah, he tries to have the best facial hair. <laughs> he, tried, yeah. he shaved it now. Ever Did since he? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I'm a fan. I'm a. I actually am a fan of this. Um, yeah. The, I I like the, I like the wing backs, and I like having that Pulisic, Adams, McKenny. If we were playing a a team that we were outmatched by, and then we could compress the midfield and this defensive five. And you just make a low block, and we could really counterattack from this uh, formation. If we played like one of the European teams and above us in the FIFA rankings, or just a side that we know we don't stack up with, we don't stack up with them talent-wise. I think this formation would actually work pretty well. It's certainly, I think, this favors the offense for sure. I mean, I like Dest playing forward a lot more than I like him playing back on the wing. And I think he's a lot more dynamic and effective with the ball at his feet in the middle third to attacking third. I, I mean, I think he's a fine defender, but I really think that's where he thrives. Uh, this is not, and I guess it's hard because personally, this is like one of the better lineups and formations, in my opinion, I think you throw out. But this is not like a grinded out CONCACAF lineup, for sure. Uh, and I think there's a big... I mean, that's what's hard about managing like the U.S. team between both CONCACAF and then, I mean, hopefully if you make the World Cup, completely different styles are what you would play. But this, to me, is more of a European style. And I will say for, again, because we're not like streaming this, uh, we're listening, I have Stefan in gold just because I, mean, I think you have to. But I think it's very clear who our three goalies are going to be. Um, so, and I don't. I don't have a preference of Horvath over Turner or anything like that. I just think Stefan's going to start. I don't know if you guys have any more thoughts. I know Jake kind of gave his two cents, but this, this is what I like, and I, I think that it also allows for a lot of subbing um, and guys who are effective in certain positions to sub on 
and really not have to change the formation a whole lot. Like you've got Waya coming in for Reyna and kind of filling that same holdup role as a big, like athletic, but also technical player. And then you've got, um, Sabachu or Pifat, um, coming in and, and playing more of like a goal scorer. I also, I mean, I like Zardis too, but I think he's definitely a CONCACAF. And him and DK are more of like a CONCACAF, like, be on the field because you're big and you're fast type player. I, I don't think I prefer them in a World Cup scenario. Yeah, I'll go put on my Sam Vines jersey real quick. Big fan of him. Perfect. <laughs> well, mine's going to kind of be a, uh, a bit of a different look. And I found a major issue with my lineup um, earlier today, but I thought for the sake of humor, I would just leave it in. You guys kind of had the inverted triangle in the middle. I have a 4-2-3-1 lineup i have uh daryl dk at the front and the reason being is i do kind of like a like the flair of the united states kind of mentality of like brute force and so that's i like having him up at the top for that reason you know we already talked about pulisic at the left i have reina as a center attacking mid honestly those three in the midfield that i have in that triangle whether it's inverted or not at different points during a match, that's not really too much of a concern because I think they'll be doing so much rotation that it's not really really a big deal. Timothy way out on the right, and I know that's kind of counter with him as a striker, but I think having the two center defensive mids kind of gives him the opportunity to play more forward. Wes McKinney and Tyler Adams as the center defensive mids, and again, they'd be rotating, rotating into the attack when needed my back line would get it what gets interesting so the big mistake is eric zavaleta is a player i played against in high school who now plays for toronto and as i was doing my research before the show turns out so he did play uh for the youth academy the u.s youth academy uh he since speaking of uh dual national uh switches he played a, a world cup qualifying match for el salvador back in june so i don't think he'll be making <laughs> oh. this roster anytime uh, soon yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he actually he actually scored a goal he's a defender he scored a goal in that match so the legend um, <laughs> yeah so that's kind of a uh my my right back's kyle smith uh kyle plays right back for orlando city he was a louisville city alum so i had to plug that i also he was one i played against in college so Shout out to to Kyle. Uh, on the left, we just got to get Jonathan Gomez some caps so he sticks with uh, the United States and doesn't <laughs> switch to yeah. Mexico. So just get him out on the field. Tell him he's great. Let him be a starter. I think he'll do pretty well. He's been playing great for Blue <laughs> City. So. And then I wanted them to have kind of a more tenured U.S. Men's National Team kind of mainstay in John Brooks. He'll help all of them kind of navigate the uh, national team waters. And then Zach Steffen, I was kind of torn because I, I kind of wanted to put Turner in there, but actually watching Steffen play for City in the Community Shield, I thought he looked really good. So that kind of tipped it in that direction for me, uh, for him as the uh, the goalkeeper. Uh, bummed about Eric Zavaleta, but again, this is uh, this is real amateurs. So 
talking real football as part of the ballistic football podcast so i mean i think way is an inspired pick honestly i think he'll get a lot of minutes on that right side and up top probably especially if we're gonna play two strikers up because i think he plays on the wing for lil right now but he's he makes great runs he's a good player i was i was just gonna say i think the to me I mean, take without even the players' names, I think the formation is a wild formation. And, I mean, I like the idea of, of having these, like, transient, like, defending midfielders and the fact that you have, like, Weston McKinney and Tyler Adams as those guys. I think that's, like, a, like a super fun idea. It's just... it. I mean, I know, like, I know that this for you was not, like, a super serious thing. No. But I, like, the the... The formation to me is just like so, like the four two three one, which I I guess like that's that is like a formation that teams run. It's just it would it would be like super super fun to see that like play out with our A team and have like McKinney and Polisic kind of switching back and forth based on whoever makes the run forward, and then also Adams moving like it. It's almost like an NBA or not an NBA, like a basketball, like triangle offense where you're just kind of like pivoting between like these, you've got your guys that basically play like the two on the post and one at like the foul line basically. And, but you have that like twofold here and you basically, you have an opportunity for everybody to just rotate in like a triangular. I I don't know. I just, I wanted to comment on that before we moved on just because I, I, I don't think it flies. But I, I, I like it, and I would love to watch it play out. And if guys had enough time to work out like, and really get comfortable with rotating kind of through that system, that would be very interesting. Well, and the other thing, too, is, is I wanted to give some additional weight to the defense, you know, and those two center defensive midfielders. And, again, I talked about how I think you know, there'll be a lot of rotation there, but that kind of frees up your wing backs to make runs. And to be honest, like and we talked about this in a previous episode and you're seeing it and some of the transfer fees that you're seeing for wing backs, like I feel like the game is really starting to move to where you have to have wing backs that really support your attack, but you can't compromise your defense. So that's why it's probably a little bit more, defensive minded but it also provides uh, some of the triangles within the midfield because to be honest in watching some of our matches I just really think we've struggled getting movement in the midfield and I, I yeah I can't pinpoint why but and I think honestly I think that's why a lot of our goals come off of set pieces is because we just really struggle to figure out how to work the ball through the midfield so I think having a couple what I would call negative options to help kind of reset would maybe help support that a little bit better so as a as a shameless plug the reason i'm a big fan of the wing back not only because i that's like the position i played in high school and i thought it was incredibly effective more so probably at a lower level just run, like really high, and we played a 4-4-2 it's not like we played like a 5-3-2 or something like that we we had basically our outside backs just ran the field and our midfield was very narrow but in terms of my kind of understanding of like professional formations and in my like for wingbacks, watching Liverpool and you watch like Andy Robertson run the wing 
and that dude is like as fit as fit comes and is just at one at like in at one second he's attacking and he's forward and he's in front of goal and the next point he's defending i think that the u.s has that kind of athleticism and and i agree i think our midfield is very stale and it's you watch games they're not there's no overlapping runs or anything like that happening. It's all passing in like like a triangular fashion or a diamond fashion. And I really think that that wingback position opens things up. I mean, it draw, if anything, it's drawing defenders. It's not that you have to play that guy through because they're making this massive run down the line. But they're drawing that outside back that allows a forward to check back and get the ball. And, and I just... To me, it seems like such an obvious role to have on your team to to have either your four defenders, the two outside guys run wingbacks, or to have some kind of five defender scenario where you've got both your outside guys are running the field and your three guys in the middle are holding it down. But I, I think it comes down to fitness, honestly, and your willing the player's willingness to run that position because it's hard. I mean, that is... I think that's a position that you play knowing that you're not going to play a whole game. And I, I mean, unless again, unless you're just really fit and you can, cause you're probably going to run like 10 miles in a game, but I, I don't know that. I think I, I agree with you that that's something I'm really, that's something I really think U S team needs to take a look at, but Jonathan Gomez is the perfect fit for that left wing back roll <laughs> just just a like a crazy man yeah. running the field yeah. he'd be yeah. great straight from usl the national team no questions asked it's been done before i think i'm down for it <laughs> i think clinton yeah, d- called up a usl guy a while back oh yeah well that kind of concludes uh our our episode for today uh i want to thank Curb and uh, Adam for joining us for the first time. It was a pleasure having you guys. I hope you guys make your way back here. A lot of a lot of good discussion, and you know, there's a lot on this U.S. men's national team topic that you know we kind of touched on some of the dual nationals and and switching, and we could talk about that probably forever, along with a bunch of other things. I think there'll be a lot more that we talk about once World Cup qualifying kicks off. And so I hope hope to have you guys back to to talk more about that. Nat, I pulled all of these stats and stuff like that. I've got them on my other monitor. That we're gonna have to we're I'm gonna have to come back at some point <laughs> to talk about this. I'm not gonna close this tab. This tab this Google Chrome tab is gonna stay open favorite until that. our next send a send a uh, a memo out to all of us you know, letting us know what, what we need to research ahead of the next episode. Stats of the day, <laughs> no, man. Let's not, go. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> now, these are my points, and I don't care if they make any sense or not. It's my original content. You guys aren't getting it. <laughs> exactly. Jake, it was good to good to have you back again. Fun, yeah, fun. First time having four people on the podcast. And I yeah, that's it, true. It was pretty lively. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, a lot of fun. Yeah, these uh, we've. I think we've kind of found the more folks we have we have on, the longer we tend to go, which is great because I don't. It, it's not like I even notice how much time we've spent, and maybe our listeners would feel differently. But you know, I think 
again, just being able to have a conversation about different aspects of football has been, is always fun for me. And uh, to hear your guys' insights is uh, educational. And uh, honestly, it's a shortcut for me to keep up with various aspects of the sport. So I appreciate you all stopping by. Uh, For our listeners, we appreciate you listening to the Ballistic Football Podcast. Uh, Please follow us on Twitter at Ballistic Footy, or you can find us on Facebook at Ballistic Football. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.